There's three responses here. Let's look at. I see this in Jesus' life. Tonight we're going to look at some more examples, Lord willing, of Jesus' love expressed in a different way. Not quite so quiet, calm, and gentle. But this morning I want you to get these three truths down. When we're dealing with people, we need to do what Jesus did. Follow his example. Number one, we can sympathize. We can sympathize with the pain. Jesus did. He saw the pain that Mary and Martha and all the Jews were going through because of Lazarus' death. So raising from the dead. He still held firm. He still said, Lord, I, you know what we've talked about already. Jesus felt the pain for the rich young ruler. He sympathized. Man, that poor guy. I feel so sorry for him. He sympathized. He said, oh, Jerusalem, why, why? He sympathized with the person's pain and their condition. He said, I understand the pain. I understand the heartache, the brokenness here. The next step was to analyze. The Bible says is the cause. What does the Bible say is the answer? This is so important to listen to the Holy Spirit here. A lot of cases, you can't just come in and say, Lord says, and say, hey, I understand this is a hard truth. This is a hard thing to do. But I have an answer. Whether they receive the answer or not, you have to be like Jesus. I'd give anything if you would, Jerusalem, have allowed me to take you under my arms, but you didn't. Now you have to live with the consequence. I don't want you to have to. Go on, go on. I don't want you to have to. But you made the decision. The last, and this encompasses the whole, all three, to characterize, characterize Christ's response. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in again. Father, in this situation, how would Jesus have acted? Now, I can remember back by knowing, because you know the Scripture. Remember, that was one of the first things we have to do, is know the Scripture. Well, how would Jesus react in this situation? Now, Holy Spirit, this isn't exactly the same situation as Jesus had. Give me wisdom and insight and to know how to handle this particular situation. It's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of knowing the Word. It's a matter of seeking the Holy Spirit. Sympathize, analyze, and characterize. Lord willing, tonight we're going to talk about some other love and the way that Jesus loves people. It, at first glance, we would say, that's love. Yeah, we're going to show that Jesus loves with an everlasting love. You see the fact that love can be an emotion? can be emotional. I can't say it can be an emotion, it's a decision, but it can be emotional. Jesus was emotional. Jesus cried. Jesus felt. Jesus hurt. He hurt for the people who rejected him and his word. That's exactly the way we're supposed to. We're supposed to hurt. We're supposed to feel. But Jesus never dropped his standard. Never dropped his standard. He hated the fact that Jerusalem had rejected God. He cried over that, lamented over that. But he said, now you're going to reap what you've sown. I wish I'd give anything if you wouldn't have to, but you have to, because you decided that. That's love. 
believe it or not, that's why. We're going to talk some more on the subject of agape love. Can anyone, without me revealing it on the overhead, can anyone tell me what the scriptural definition of love is? Obeying Christ's command. And where do we get that? What portion of scripture do we get that? 2 John, verse 6. You see, you're going to need to know that. I'm asking you that because I'm not the one who needs to know it. Well, I do need to know it, but you need to know it too. We said that agape love was the love of the will. It wasn't the friendship kind of love where you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's the kind of love that will always do what's best for the other person. The God kind of love. And we said that this is the definition of love. A lot of descriptions flying around these days, but this is the definition. And you can clarify this definition by looking at the description. And for the last couple of weeks, that's what we've been doing. We went through and we said that we made the delineation. Again, I'll put this down, that everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Everyone who obeys Christ's commands knows God, and God knows them. They're saved. But they who know not, that love not, who don't obey the commandments, they don't know God. So until they come to the point where they love to the point where they obey Christ's commands, they will not see salvation. Went on down and shows what, he, what the final result is. The state of loving not is rebellion and the end result is eternal death. But this is the part I like to talk about more. The part is there's a submissive spirit that, yes, Lord, I will obey your commandments. I love you. I will obey your commands. Reward is eternal life and blessings down here on earth. You hear a lot of people today talk about the fact that, oh, yes, I'm waiting for that glorious eternal life by and by, but... They forget about the blessings we have down here. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that uh, we have the blessings we have down here. Amen? Talked about Jesus as being our example. And the way Jesus did it, we talked about the fact that he never, it's never recorded in Scripture that he went to someone and said, I love you. Not anywhere in Scripture is it recorded where he said those three words, I love you. He showed it in his actions. And uh, actions speak louder than words. And all the way through the scriptures, we showed last week some of the ways that Jesus loved people, and the way he loves us. Today we're going to talk some more about that. I want to, want to say one word of caution before I go any further. Actions speak louder than words, but actions can be deceiving. Remember that when Judas betrayed Jesus, he came in the garden, and what did he do? He kissed him. He came up and gave him a hug and said, oh, I love you, this kind of stuff, you know. He didn't say, I love you, but he came up and gave an expression of love. But it was obvious that there was no love there. Word of caution there. We say we're not supposed to love in word and in tongue, but we're supposed to indeed in truth love people. And when we obey Christ's commands and do all the things he told us to do in the scriptures, we'll be loving the other, pe other people. We talked last week about how we're to treat our enemies. And we only talked a little bit about that because we're not supposed to have too many enemies. But we will have enemies. So we had to touch on it. The last thing we talked about in the example of Jesus' life last week, we showed his gentle, compassionate, rather emotional side. Talked about the fact when he went to minister to Mary and Martha because Lazarus had died, he showed a great deal of emotion, a great deal of love that was expressed in the emotion, crying, groaning in his spirit. He felt very emotional about it. The woman caught in adultery felt badly about the fact that uh, all these people had come to accuse her and said, where are your accusers now? 
And she said, I have none. He said, well, neither do, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The fact that we went through all the way through there was Jesus could get emotional. Jesus could feel for the other person. He could see them in their need and say, I really feel for where you are. But he never changed his standard. He always kept, maintained the standard that he had received directly from the Father. It wasn't a standard that he had made up on his own. He said, everything I get, I get from the Father. So he wasn't coming out with some new weird doctrine. He said, it's straight from the throne room. So last week we talked about the fact that Jesus loved people and he could feel compassion for them. The rich young ruler said he loved him, felt compassion for him, but he didn't change his standard. This morning I want to look at a different side of love. If we just looked at the passages we looked at last week, we get the wrong idea of Jesus. We would get the idea that he might be a little bit weak. A little bit weak. This morning I want to clear up the fact that Jesus was not weak. He was meek, but he was not weak. He had a standard to uphold. We talked last week about the fact that he was gentle, compassionate. This morning we're going to look at a different side of Jesus, but keep this in mind all the way through. Who loves us more than anybody? God, Jesus, loves us more than anybody. He loves the world more than anybody possibly could. Now, you'll look at some of these scriptures this morning and think, how in the world could somebody do that and say that they love them? Because it's not consistent with our idea of what love is. That's why we need to renew our minds. That's why we need to renew our minds. We've got this crazy idea of what love is in our head. Some of us do, some of us don't. Have this, this idea of what love is. And when we see something in the scriptures, we say, oh, how could that be love? I'm here to tell you, if God says it's love, it's love. Regardless of what you say, and if you don't agree with it, you need to renew your mind. Get in line with the Word. This morning, turn to John, the sixth chapter. John, chapter six. Jesus was firm. He requires a choice. He was presenting his disciples with a choice here. We're going to look at it. Verse 56. He's talking to his disciples here. He says, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his... Now check who this is. Many therefore of who? His disciples. His closest friends. Circle about him, those who are closest to him. Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? The word hard there means stiff. This is a stiff saying. Well, that's, that's a hard word. And who can hear it? Who can hear it? I remember when I was the Christ for the Nations, there was a little, little old lady there who was a teacher there and she was an evangelist's wife for years and she had a very rough little voice and she was really short and she'd come up you know, eight o'clock in the morning when we'd have chapel she'd come up behind the pulpit and she was so short she couldn't see her until she was right here and she couldn't see her coming up because the platform was raised a little bit and at eight o'clock in the morning you might be sitting in your chair and you're just quietly praying in the spirit and meditating on the word she'll come up and say can you receive it like this. You know, it's a very Pentecostal phrase. Can you receive it? Well, these guys were saying, we can't receive it. This is a hard thing. Who can hear it? 
Who can hear it? Have you ever tried to share a truth with somebody and they say, well, I just can't receive that. I just can't receive that. That's what they were saying. They said, Lord, now, this is pretty, this is pretty hard here. I don't know if we can take this. Uh, I don't think I can receive that. It doesn't witness with my spirit. I don't feel led. Well, let me tell you something. Something we learned this past week. We are supposed to operate out of our redeemed spirit. We're supposed to be spirit controlled. But if we've got wrong ideas in our soul, in our mind, that's going to stop that flow of the spirit. That's why we need to renew our mind to what the word says. When Jesus knew in himself that the disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? I'm sure he was really worried if it did. What is it? ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If we obey those words, we will have eternal life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. Now here's the interesting verse. From that time, many of the people that were just kind of hanging around went back and walked no more with him. His disciples. He lost some friends. These were the disciples. These weren't just people who were casually standing off to the side saying, I mean, have you heard this guy? He's got some interesting points here and worked a few miracles. It was the people who had already said, man, we're following this guy. Yeah, this guy's great. Yeah, he's, yeah, I'm on the committee here. This is the Jesus Christ Crusade. I'm a chief head usher here. They said that those people, the ones who were committed to him, supposedly, had finally run into a wall where Jesus said, you're going to have to obey this command too. And they said, whoops, that's a little hard, Lord. It's a hard saying. We can't receive it. They went back. Let me tell you something. When a disciple ceases to follow, he ceases to be a disciple. A disciple, the word disciple means an imitator or a follower. And when that stops happening, you stop being a disciple. I've, I've polished cars in the past. When I stop polishing cars, I'm no longer called a car polisher. When I stop going to school, I will stop being called a student. When you stop following Jesus Christ, you stop being called a disciple. You are no longer called a disciple because you're no longer fulfilling the requirements of that position. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Took off. Then Simon Peter answered him, Will ye also go away? We had the group of disciples here. We had a kind of a little closer group of 12. Jesus said, I've gotten a truth from the Father. I'm giving this truth to you. They've left me. And you're welcome to go too because I've gotten this from the Father and it's not going to change. It's not going to change. These friends over here, they left me. You're welcome to go too because I have it settled in my mind and in my spirit that the Father gave me a command and I don't care if everybody forsakes me. I'm going to be consistent. I am going to be faithful to what the Father's told me to do. Amen? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life. Right there it is. Obeying Christ's words. 
obeying Christ's command, the end result is eternal life. Thou hast the words, and if they're, if they're obeyed, you'll get eternal life. Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. More to it than that. I believe that many of those disciples there believed, the ones that left, believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, but they weren't sure. They weren't sure. Peter says here, we believe and we're sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We're positive. There is nothing that's going to shake us. Nothing. We're sure. We're convinced. You got your word straight from the Father. You gave it right to us. We know, we know the source and we're sure that you're the Son of the living God. We're not turning our backs. hope that's, that can be said of all of us. Go to chapter 8 in John. Jesus requires a choice. And sometimes, he got a little... Oh, he called some names. He told it like it was. We're going to see here that he was talking. Are you talking to the Pharisees here? Yeah. Verse 42 of chapter 8. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, if you were born of God, and if you knew God... You would love me. You would obey me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Now here's a real... You've got to question this. Now how could he love him and tell him this? Ye are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you're not of God. He that is of God, who is born of God, who loveth God, will receive Jesus' command, will obey Jesus' command. If not, forget it. You have not eternal life dwelling within you. Plain and simple, cut and dry. You say, oh, now you're getting a little hard there, aren't you? Isn't there a little gray area? Do you have to be so dogmatic? That's divisive. Turn to Luke 12. Divisive? Oh, we've got to have unity, and we will have unity. I'm not against you. Know, I am so pro-unity, I can't tell you how pro-unity I am. But unity only comes when you come into like-mindedness that you are going to obey the commands of Christ. You're going to love at any cost. That's when unity comes in. The only time that unity will come in. Luke, the 12th chapter, verse 51. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay. Who's talking here? In my Bible, it's red letter edition. In my, these letters are red. Who said that? Jesus. Is that what Jesus said? Jesus' words? Boy, isn't that amazing? I tell you nay, but rather division. That's divisive. Absolutely. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, Three against two and two against three, and the father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, and the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. 
That sounds like a lot of division to me. Why would it be divisive? Because he required a choice. He required a decision. He says, some will be able to receive it. Some will not be able to receive it. That doesn't change it. Some will receive the word, some will not receive the word. It doesn't change the word. And you know what the end result is? He'll tell you what the end result is right there. Families. Division in families. Because one member of the family says, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to be a disciple. Because I am sure that he is the son of the living God. And his words are the words of eternal life. And someone else says, well, I don't know. Right there is the division. And that division is not from the devil. Jesus said, I came to bring division. Now see, the division won't be there. The division won't be there if they all speak the same thing. If they all agree. If they say, I'm going to love Jesus. Are you going to love Jesus? Yes, I'm going to love Jesus. Great. Is there any division there? No. That's all it takes is to say, I am going to love I'm going to decide to love. It's a decision. I'm going to decide to love. I'm going to decide to obey Christ's command. There won't be any division. But Jesus said, expect division, because not everybody's going to say that. Not everybody's going to say, I desire to obey Christ in everything he says. When you come to that point, division will enter in. I wonder what some of us would do if somebody came in here or into any church they come busting through the front door. They come in here and they go back to the soundboard and they pull all the plugs out of the soundboard. They come up here and knock down the amplifiers, overturn the piano, overturn the, the communion table here, the overhead projector, put their fist through the, the organ and knock over the pulpit. And say, get out of here! You're not doing this right! We say, no. That guy. Oh. He's divisive. He's not led of God. He doesn't love what did Jesus do in the temple? I'm sure they were just as shocked as we would be. This guy comes in there with a scourge of cords and he starts whipping these guys right and left, overturning their table. I mean, they had a profitable little business going there. They were comfy. I think the Holy Spirit needs to come into a lot of churches today and make people uncomfy, overturn their table. They were comfy where they were, but he came in, he overturned their table, he whipped those guys right out of there, and he hated them. Did he hate them? He loved them, didn't he? Try to let that soak in a minute. That's hard to figure out, isn't it? In the way we normally think. The way we normally think of love. That's different. But that's the way Jesus loved. Uh, I'm not promoting the fact that we bust through church doors and throw tables over. But there may be times that we have to upset people's apple carts. Maybe times that we have to throw the tables over, let the money scatter out on the floor. And I'm sure that those people that were in the temple stared at him in amazement. What is he doing? Probably get the same reaction. But again, what I'm saying, I want to bring a balance here. Bring a balance. You see, there are some people that will only hear this part of the message. Well, let's go tell those people, ah, let's go get them, come on, ah, let's go get them. You know, normally I would say that, that they probably would have the motivational gift of a prophet if they do that. But then we'd have 
those that would probably have the motivational gift of mercy, who would like to maybe keep more with last week's part of the sermon, where Jesus was gentle and compassionate. He didn't upset anybody's apple cart. He was firm, but he's compassionate. If we can take last week and this week, put them together, you've got a pretty complete picture of how Jesus loved. And he being our example, that's the way we're supposed to love. There are times to be gentle, to be compassionate. To not, not upset people's apple carts. There are other, other times to come in with a scourge of cords and overturn the table. And the whole thing is knowing when, knowing how. I want to give some guidelines to how to love here. If you're taking notes, it'd be good to do this. Number one, love will always distinguish between the sinner and the sin. Jesus being our example, again, I go back to the, the uh, thing about the rich young ruler. Jesus says, the scripture says Jesus loved him. But Jesus hated the sin. And the thing that Jesus hates has to go if we're going to be his disciple. Jesus loved the rich young ruler. He would have given anything if he would have followed him. But see the thing, the rich young ruler wouldn't have given everything. And he didn't. Separate the sin from the sinner. Love the person. Love the person. Hate the sin. Jesus always loved the people, but he saw, the reason he hates the sin is because he sees what the sin's doing to the person. He sees the path they're headed. He says, the reason you're headed that way is because of the sin. Here, get rid of the sin. And you can start going this way. Headed toward eternal life. Submit. Head for eternal life. Don't rebel and go to eternal death. He hates the sin, but he loves the person. Number one rule of love. Separate between the two. The two. Love always keeps emotions in their proper perspective. And they obviously have their place because Jesus was emotional. Not just in a gentle way. Two. He cried he wept, he felt. When he cried over Jerusalem, he was lamenting. But he also showed emotion when he came into the temple and overturned the table. That was a different kind of emotion. An angry and righteous indignation. But we always keep it in its proper perspective. When we hear a situation that to us might seem terrible. Oh, how could that happen? And we're saying, dear God, you wouldn't do that to that person, would you? And he says, what does my word say? So that's what will happen to that person. Oh, but can't you make an exception in this place? No. My word's forever settled in the heaven, and I won't make exceptions. You can bawl, squall, cry, shout, scream. Word doesn't change. The pain of a situation does not change the fact and the truth of God's word. Repeat that. The pain of a situation does not change the fact nor the truth of God's Word. It can be painful. Jesus felt for their pain where they were. We're to feel for the pain where they are. It doesn't change the fact of God's Word. 
is probably one of the most important things. Number three, love always seeks guidance from the Holy Spirit. And this has to do with the fact that we have an anointing. The Holy Spirit, which dwells within us, teaches us and brings all things to our remembrance whatsoever Christ has commanded us. Christ has commanded us. He brings it to us, He reminds us of it, in order that we might obey it. Now, we've heard of the phrase, grieving the Holy Spirit. When you don't obey it, that's what you're doing. He brings the truth up to you. Remember, this is what Jesus commanded you. Puts it in your mind. Hell, I know that, but but, let's get away from that. You just grieve the Holy Spirit. He said, obey me. That's love. Knowing when. Timing is the crucial element here. Knowing when to share a truth and which truth to share when. Try to think of an example. Somebody who has a very broken, contrite spirit comes into the church and they have a problem with some habit. And God might reveal it to somebody. Or somebody might find out just by the grapevine or by watching them. Now, you could do like Jesus did and come up and say, You're your father the devil! You generation of vipers, you hypocrites! You need to repent! Get it straight! The first one, that's where the leading of the Holy Spirit has to come in. That person may have needed a gentle admonition rather than a strong rebuke. Say, brother, the Lord has shown me, or I know of the fact that this sin is in your life, and I just want you to know that God recognizes it as sin. And I know that you want to do everything in your power to follow what the Lord tells you to do. And I feel it my responsibility as a brother in Christ to come along and let you know about the sin and beyond that to support you in repenting of that sin. To support you in the repentance of that sin. I cannot support you if you don't repent. But if your heart's toward God, I will do everything I can to restore you. The end of the gospel is restoration. Restoration. But repentance comes first. Repentance, then restoration. Trying to restore somebody who hasn't repented is impossible. It's impossible to restore someone who has not repented. It can't be done. Repentance. First, when Paul was talking to the to the Corinthians about that man in the body who was in immorality. He gave a hard word. He gave a lot of hard word in in Corinthians about how to treat those who were in the body who were in known sin and would not repent. He said, separate yourself from him as much as excommunicate the man and turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh the Spirit might be saved, and sometime we're going to have to talk about what that entails. That's heavy-duty big time. It's a hard thing. I mean, somebody really has to be in a bad way before you do it. But Paul said to do it. And the man did repent. The man did repent. And Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, now that he's repented, restore that brother. 
don't keep up with your, yeah, you were a rotten sinner. By the grace of God, you're a sinner saved by grace. No. That's under the blood. You've been forgiven. Go on with God. And I'm here to encourage you and build you and help you in any way I can. Restoring. But, had he not repented, Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians would not have changed. Still treat him the way that I told you to treat him. You know, the scripture says that if you see a brother walking in disobedience, willfully walking in disobedience, and you've gone to him, you've entreated him like a brother, you've gone with witness, and you said, you know, this needs to be straightened out. And they don't. They know what the Word says, and they're not willing to. You know what the Word says to do? Not even to eat with them. Cease fellowship. Cease fellowship. I say, oh, that's not, that's not loving. That's not... Does the word command to do it? What's love? Obeying Christ's commands? That's love. Don't tell me that's not loving. That's the word. Because you're not even supposed to eat with them. Why? Why are you doing that? Because you hate that person. Wrong. Because you love them. And you see where they're headed. And you're saying, this is why you're heading, heading there. It's not you. It's the sin that's sending you there. And if my actions can in any way bring about the change that's going to keep you from going the direction you're going, I'm going to do it because I love you. Might be hard. Might be very hard. Word says to do it. Obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing. Love always has an open door. We just talked about that. Love always has an open door. At any time that you're willing to come and change your heart, toward God. God, all the way through the Old Testament, said, if you will just obey me, if you'll just do the commands that I told you to do, I'll bless you. And if you don't, I'm going to have to let the curses come upon you. It's as simple as that. But he wanted them to be restored. He said, all the way through. Jesus, when he looked over the city of Jerusalem, 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 how many times would I have gathered you under my wings like a hen gathered her chicks, but you would not? He leaves the decision to you. He leaves the decision to everybody. In this church or not in this church, everybody has a decision. God's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to what? Repentance. And that's what it takes. You can't be restored. You can't have eternal life. You can't be a get the blessings of God until you repent. The end of it is restoration. Don't get the idea that God is up there saying, ah, I'm going to nail somebody. No. God wants everybody to live under the blessings. He wants everybody to live under prosperity. He wants everybody to, to be blessed by Him. He's a good God. But He's made some requirements that will not change. Never change. The whole idea is restoration. But there are guidelines to that restoration. Some people might get scared at this and say, Oh, he that loveth not, knoweth not God. Boy, what happens if I just miss this little thing like this? The hard attitude. God's not going to say, I'm going to withhold convicting him from this sin so I can send him to hell. The Holy Spirit's there to reveal that to you. If you love God. You have an open heart to Him. And say, God, 
at all times, all your Holy Spirit has to do is say, there it is, and it's yours. That attitude. And it might not be easy, because sometimes God will point something out, and you'll struggle with it for quite a while. But the attitude is, Father, at all costs, I want to be pleasing to you. That's the restoration. He says that perfect love casteth out fear. See, there is no fear of a relation in our relationship with God if that is our love to Him. Our love to Him says, Lord, whatever your commands are, I'll obey them. There's no fear there. I'm not scared that God's going to zap me. As long as I stay obedient and have my heart attitude in obedience. Holy Spirit might point something out to me and say, Jeff, you need to get rid of that. I say, yeah, I know that. But as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him, that love him, and he'll chasten you until you give it up. And if you're not with chastisement, you're none of his. That's what the Holy Spirit's there for. That's why the Holy Spirit's there. The hard attitude must be, Lord, you name it, it's yours. You might struggle with it for a while, but it's yours. That's why there's no fear in love, in perfect love. Complete love. Complete obedience. The word perfect there, perfect love. The word perfect means complete. Complete obedience to Christ's commands cast out all fear. Probably never heard it interpreted that way. But that's what the word says. That's what the word says. Amen.